Well, please turn in your Bibles to the book of Micah, book of Micah, Micah chapter 5. It's about two-thirds of the way into your Bible, one of the minor prophets. Micah chapter 5, our text this morning is verse 5, just six words. Here is the word of God. And he shall be their peace. Let's pray. Father, you know exactly what we need now. We pray then that through your word, you would help us to fall on our knees, to worship this Prince of Peace, and to walk in a manner worthy as people, proclaiming this peace and spreading it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, isn't it a little bit ironic that the one season out of the year that's supposed to be marked by peace isn't? I mean, during Christmas, peace seems about as real as Rudolph and his red nose. Sometimes peace can feel about as elusive as that little gingerbread man. We just spend our December running, running as fast as we can, but we can't catch it. And even when we do, it slips out of our hands. Uh, Christmas can be great. And just as a background to my life, I I've loved Christmas for a long time. I it's my mom's fault, but we love it together. I, I love the decorations, the traditions, the meals. I, I love the songs, the smells, the sights, the sounds of Christmas. It's a, it's a pretty wonderful thing to sit on a dark living room with the lights from the tree lighting up the room while the snow gently falls outside, isn't it? I mean, Christmas can be a great thing. You have Christmas Eve, the services, the presents, the trees, uh, the whole nine yards. And then there's Christmas morning, which is wonderful. And Christmas can be great, but... At this point in my life, it feels more, it feels closer to something like this. It's like Christmas and December have become synonymous with busy. Actually, it's probably busier than my usual busy, right? I mean, with Christmas and December, it's, it's wonderful, but there's usually more stress, there's more anxiety, there's more worry. I have all these added responsibilities, you know, all the year-end requirements for your job, or maybe all of the parties and events that got put on your calendar without you knowing, and took up your weekends that you thought you had in November, but now you're like, oh, it's going to get to January. <laughs> I didn't even have a season. But I find that in the midst of this, I, I tend to get grouchier, moodier, increasingly disappointed and frustrated. And so here it is, this Christmas season, and I find myself in more conflict out of, than any other month in the whole year. I, I like to think of myself sometimes in these four different categories. Sometimes I'm a silent snowman. I just get ice cold. Other times I'm this verbal volcano, just frustrated and spews out of me. Sometimes I'm a pouting puppy. I just go sit in the corner, self-pity, woe is me, and I'm all mopey. 
And then there's other times where I can be a manipulative monster. I will do anything to get my way, to get my happiness. And maybe you're like me, but at some point in the midst of the Christmas season, midst of December, my, my plastic peace, my fake peace that I've been trying to hold on for so long, dissipates. I burst out, whether to God or to somebody else, can I just get a moment of peace? I wonder if you've ever said that. Not to mention, I mean, so all my stress and conflict are the family members who fail to remember who I am and what I'm going through. And the well-intentioned Christians that often forget my struggle. Or did I mention that I'm usually busier than I am at any other point in the year? See, this is my burden, church, and this is where we're going to go today. Is I have a great concern, and that concern is that our busy pace is ruining our peace, and it ruins our witness. I'm concerned that our busy pace during Christmas, during December, is ruining the peace we could enjoy, and in doing so, it's ruining the witness that we have before the lost. My, my bobcats lost yesterday. It was an agony of defeat. We got our last field goal blocked. We could have tied it up. It, it was very frustrating, disappointing to me, and it was a good thing I was preaching on peace because I had an opportunity to apply the message. But I have found that during this season, we have home field advantage. Christmas and December is literally set up. Sights, sounds, smells, decorations. It's literally set up advantage Christians, advantage church. My Bobcats had the longest winning home streak out of any football team in the nation. Now they don't, but they did. It was 26 times in a row they won at home. And that's because everything was moving toward their favor. The crowd, the noises, the smells, the comforts, it was all for them. Church, Christmas is our home field advantage. It's, it's moving in our favor. And instead of being a season where we slow down to savor Christ, what is it? We speed up. We fill our calendars. We say yes to more things than we could possibly do. And so December comes us trying to be people that we cannot be, go to all these places that we could never actually go and do all these things that we could ever actually accomplish in such a short amount of time. And so our unhealthy pace leads to a life unworthy of the gospel, to use Jeremy's language from last week. You know, when pastoring a small town in England in the 1700s, John Newton wrote to his church about seven blemishes that he felt were undermining their witness in front of their town. I think that if John Newton was a pastor in 21st century America, especially in Billings, I think he would add an eighth blemish. I think he would be busy. He would look at the church, he'd look at me, he'd look at us, and he'd say, it's wonderful that you love Jesus. It's, it's great that you love the gospel. But you seem to be so busy and so preoccupied that you just hurry from one thing to the next. You love Jesus, but you run on empty. You're constantly exhausted. It makes you frustrated. 
You crave peace. You complain about its absence, but you are unwilling to stop or change in order to enjoy peace. Hardly flourishing, you are often withering. You're run down, and then you're beat down by the guilt and shame of being run down, and you cycle back upon yourself. And in doing so, our sinful hurry sabotages our efforts at reaching the lost when we have home field advantage. Now, let me just be real clear. Busy doesn't mean bad. Busy isn't always bad. But that unhealthy, maybe sometimes sinful busy, boy, it is. And thankfully, the truth found here in Micah chapter 5 is, is a life-saving tourniquet. Because busyness is bleeding us out. Our witness is dying. Our peace is decaying. And we need help. We need help from the Prince of Peace. And so that's who we're going to focus on this morning. I have two main points for you. It's very simple. Worship and walk. Worship and walk. We're going to talk about worshiping the Prince of Peace and walking as people of peace. Let's get started. Point number one, worship the Prince of Peace. As you turn to the book of Micah, you are turning to a prophet who, who ministered about the 700, 600 B.C. There was chaos and turmoil in the north, in Israel, and in Judah in the south. And the people were not following God faithfully. So God was going to bring about the discipline of enemy armies. And yet, in the midst of it, he speaks hope. God speaks hope. He uses Micah's mouth to declare that hope will arrive. Peace will come through a prince, through his man, his Messiah. And in verses 2 through 5, you get seven marks of this coming prince, this coming Messiah. Verse 5 says, and he shall be their peace. But when we ask who is he, we have to look back at those previous verses. Well, here, I'll give you who he is. First, he is going to be marked by, number one, obscurity. Verse 2 says, But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be a ruler in Israel. He says this king is going to come from obscurity. You know, Bethlehem, we know it now, but back in that day, Bethlehem would have never gotten picked first on the playground. It reminds me of where I'm from. I, I wrote a song in college called A Town You've Never Heard Of. Because every time I would talk to my teammates who were from Dallas or L.A., they'd say, hey, where are you from? i say, I'm from Harlem. <laughs> they go, ah, that doesn't look right. <laughs> and so I say, I'm from a town that you've never heard of. Well, Bethlehem was a town you've never heard of. It was humble, insignificant, and obscure. Salvation was going to come from humility and obscurity. This was a town with no great renown, but the Lord had a promise to keep. Second, out of obscurity would come a king. This was the next mark, a king. From you shall come forth for me one who is to be a ruler. You could use the word prince or king. He's going to have a position of authority. He'll possess power. And he'll have a people to reign over. Well, third, you get to 
who this king is going to be. He's going to be an ancient king. Obscurity, he's going to be a king. He's going to be third, an ancient king. Look at verse 2, the rest of it. Whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. Uh, Church, this is an awesome phrase. In one sense, Micah is reaching back to the ancient promises that a son would come from David's line. But even further back, Genesis 49, that the scepter, the, the kingship, the rulership would not depart from Judah. So there's going to be a lion of Judah and a son of David. And Micah says, the king that's coming, he's going to come from old, those ancient promises. But check this out. Anytime this word is used in the Bible in reference to God, it always refers to his eternality. So there's something pretty wonderful here. He says there's going to be a promise from antiquity that will be fulfilled. And it will be fulfilled by a person from eternity. So when we say this king's ancient, we really mean it. (laughs) He will fulfill the promise. But fourth, he'll be a shepherd. He'll come from obscurity. He'll be an ancient king, but he will be a shepherd. Verses 3 and 4. And therefore he, God, shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. And then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. He shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord. The Messiah's leadership will be pastoral in nature. He'll come and he'll protect and guide. He'll provide for this precious people. He will lovingly care for them and do them good. And he'll do it in the strength of Yahweh. Then they see a fifth mark of this coming king. He will shepherd in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, verse 4. He will bear Yahweh's name. That means he'll, he'll express Yahweh's character. It'll be splendorous. His life will show forth Yahweh's beauty. Six, this guy will be famous. He will be famous. And they shall dwell secure, the text says. For now, he shall be great to the ends of the earth. And this guy is going to get global renown. He will be trending all over the world. Though he comes from obscurity and from of old, he will have wondrous praise. And then finally, church, you see in verse 5, the crescendo, peace. The people of God, for them, he will be their peace. Do you see that, verse 5? And he shall be their peace. The late Tim Keller helps us when he defined peace for us. He said shalom, which is the word for peace. You've probably heard that word. He says it describes how God created all things to be in beautiful, harmonious, interdependent, knitted, webbed relationship to one another. I don't know if you could add more adjectives there. But Keller says that this interwovenness, what the Bible calls shalom, is a harmonious peace, a complete reconciliation a state of the fullest flourishing, his word, not ours, in every dimension, physical, 
emotional, social, and spiritual. It will flourish because all relationships are right, perfect, and filled with joy. So here, let me put this together for you, okay? We, we looked at seven different pieces of this puzzle. Who is he going to be? This is who he's going to be. God will send his king into the bleakness of chaos and death as a beacon for hope. And he will be the lion of Judah from the line of David. He will be born in the obscurity of Bethlehem, yet be the eternal one in humanity fulfilling the ancient promise. He will bear Yahweh's name. He will shepherd God's people. He will bring strength and security. He will be renowned, famous throughout all the earth as he rescues God's people from the ends of the earth. And he will bring peace by waging war against evil. And his kingdom of peace will have no end. Shalom will come through this Savior. There's a reason why I've had us pause, why I've not said the name, is because what you didn't see between verse 1 and 2 is the span of six to 700 years. Imagine reading this text for 700 years. Every year, wondering. Every year, hoping. Every year, being disappointed yet again. Look, my kids have a very hard time waiting when I put presents under the tree. You guys know what I'm talking about? These guys turn into different creatures. They go wild. They're bonkers. In fact, uh, at one point I turned to my wife and we kind of agreed on this. We said, these guys are crazy. I, I don't think we can put the gifts out until like Christmas Eve or something. They go absolutely wild with anticipation for 24 hours. Imagine God's people having a tree under, a gift under the tree for 700 years. That would drive you nuts. <laughs> and then imagine the night which heaven unwraps the gift. And he says, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, born for you this day, where? In the city of David. He is Christ the Lord. He is a savior. Where are you going to find him? in obscurity, in a manger. And suddenly, this immaculate sign in heaven, they behold these angels, and they're saying, glory to God in the highest. And what, church? Peace. Everything Micah 5 had been talking about, the gifts unwrapped, and it's time to enjoy it. We know the he of Micah 5.5 5 is none other than Jesus Christ. He is our savior. He is our shalom. Was he hope? Yeah, the New Testament says so. 1 Timothy 1.1, 1, 1, Christ Jesus, our hope. Was he born in obscurity? Yes, Luke 2, in a manger, a trough. 
A king? Yes, Matthew too. They sought him out and they said, we've come to see him who was born king of the Jews. Was he ancient? Absolutely, Matthew 1.1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And what did Pastor Jeff read earlier? Better than being the son of David or from the Lion of Judah, though he fulfills it, John 1.1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And that word became flesh and dwelt among us. Was he a shepherd? Jesus was, John 10 I am the good shepherd. He said he came to gather his whole flock, not just of the Jews, of the Gentiles as well, so that there would be one flock with one shepherd. Would he provide security? Yes. None shall be snatched from my hand. Would he bear the name of Yahweh? Absolutely, Matthew 1, 21 through 23. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Yahweh. Jesus, Yeshua. Why? For he will save his people from their sins. His name means Yahweh is salvation. His name is Emmanuel, God with us. Will he be famous to the ends of the earth? Yeah, Acts 1.8. And you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. Okay, well, we marked six for six, but will he bring peace? Micah 5.5 says, and he shall be their peace. Ephesians 2.14 says, and he himself is our peace. Seven for seven. No missed extra points. Jesus is perfect. Shalom has started in Christ, and it one day will be completed upon his return. But the way it started is not the way that we would tend to think it should. Peace started on a cross. This is a, a, an amazing truth. Colossians 1, 19 through 20 say, For in him, Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, listen to this, making peace by the blood of his cross. Shalom comes through crucifixion. You know, last week when we were driving home from Thanksgiving, my four-year-old daughter was in the back seat and she was trying to get my attention. And, Dad, Daddy, Dad, <laughs> yes, dear. I know what Black Friday is. It's the day Jesus died for our sins. Yeah, that, that Friday was, was black. Man, it's the blackest Friday there's ever been. And it's the best Friday there's ever been. Because that is when peace, shalom, started. To unfold the promises that were ancient and old, now in Christ being fulfilled. He shed his blood as a sacrifice and ransom for our sin. But much more, 
Paul says to reconcile all things in the entire creation and the cosmos. Listen, you, you need to hear something. When, when we're talking about the peace that Christ brings, we're not talking about him coming to play patty cake. We're not talking about this sentimentality, oh, just nice and easy rest. Christ didn't come to strike up a, a deal, a peace deal with terrorists. The Old Testament Messiah, in some sense, though he be the prince of peace, was a man of war. He came to make war. And look, upon the cross, you get this merger of a pacifist and a warrior. He laid his life down. He didn't take up a battle scene. He laid it down. He entrusted himself to him who judges justly. While at the same time, he went to war for you. How would he overcome sin? By becoming sin for us. How would he crush the head of the serpent? By letting him strike his heel. How would he kill the hostility that existed between Jew and Gentile, man and man? He would be killed. How would he reconcile God to man? By bringing peace through the blood of his cross. Christ went to war as the prince of peace. And he now is risen and reigning until every atom in the cosmos is subjected under his feet. That's Ephesians, Hebrews, Revelation, and the rest of the theology of the, of the New Testament. We groan, right? We groan because peace has started and yet peace is yet to be completely fulfilled. But I want you to see, church, I want you to see that whether you want to stand in awe or fall on your knees, whether you want to sing, let all mortal flesh be silent, or joy to the world, the Lord has come, whatever you want to do this Christmas, worship the Prince of Peace. He has bought with his blood your peace with God. He has now given you the opportunity to have peace within. And by the shape of his cross, he shows you how to have peace with one another. Setting an example for you. Sending his spirit to dwell within you. And giving you the promise of his word. That you are at peace with God. If you have turned from your sin and you trust in him. That makes me want to worship. And it makes me want to walk. I want to walk worthy of the Prince of Peace. I want to make war against evil. And sow peace in every relationship. So that as I abide in my peace with God. The chaos outside of me cannot threaten the peace within me and that I then spill over to you 
and to the lost. And in that way, the season that is meant for peace can be redeemed. As I worship the Prince of Peace and walk as people of peace. That's our second point. Will you walk as people of peace? The Bible teaches us that what we worship determines how we walk, how we live. And so if we worship the Prince of Peace, we have his DNA in the family of God, then we will walk as people of peace. Matthew 5, 9. If you know it, say it with me. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. The peace Jesus brings us is peace with God, peace within, and peace with others. And though it cannot be a perfect peace, we understand we're still frustrated by sin. Still the flesh wages war against the spirit. Still the world entices us, yes. But shalom has started. We can enjoy peace upward, inward, and outward. So we should not waste the opportunity that the next 22 days give us. We should strive for shalom. So I want to encourage you in those three areas. Number one, you can enjoy peace with God. This will change your entire December. If you spend time reflecting on Romans 5.1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. In Christ, God relates to me just if I'd never sinned and just if I'd always obeyed. Because that's what the Prince of Peace did for me. And upon the cross, the great exchange happened where he took my sin and my failings and he gave me his righteousness, his perfection. And now I walk in peace. I stand in grace with God, never having to go, God, are, you, are we good? God, did I do enough for you this year? Did I read enough chapters? Did I pray long enough? Did I make peace enough with this person? Did I do enough for you? No, you never could. And so rest in the peace that Christ has secured for you. Look, we know the Bible teaches that by nature, all of us are at war with God. We are enemies. And yet how did Christ bring peace? He died for his enemies. And now he makes them family. And so I want to ask some of you, especially, because some of you are here and you've heard a message from the culture, from the world, saying, you have peace with God. You're, you're okay. Don't worry about that religious stuff. You're a good person. God's not mad at you. You haven't done anything that bad. I mean, at least you're not Hitler. No, you are Hitler. You are Hamas. You are Putin. And your war is with God. And you need to wave the white flag in repentance and surrender. 
and turn to the Prince of Peace. He promises that he will bring you peace with God as you trust in him by faith. You cannot do enough to gain peace this year. But my prayer is that right now where you are seated, you would enjoy peace with God by turning from your sin and believing on the Lord Jesus. You'd experience the true peace we're talking about. Because this is the banner of the Bible. No Jesus, no peace. That's our message. Without Jesus, you have no lasting peace. It's fleeting right now. But you can enjoy life eternal in him if you'd believe upon his name. That's why he came, was to bring you peace. And believer, if you know that message, let's spend the next month reveling, delighting in that message. That's how we experience then peace within. Peace with God, peace within. I want to encourage you this Christmas to think about this verse. It is the most helpful to me. Isaiah 26.3, God, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. This is not a command. It's a gift. But you unwrap it by faith. I pray you will. Unwrap it every day. Unwrap it multiple times a day. Pray. God, God, I, I'm in chaos. God, I'm in turmoil. God, I'm hurting. God, this is frustrating. God, I'm angry. I'm mad. God, I don't want this to happen. God, please entrust yourself to him. Keep your mind on him. Fix your eyes on the Prince of Peace. And he will keep you in peace. I don't say this lightly. Because I know that Christmas can evoke some of the most difficult, heart-wrenching, painful memories, painful realities. The sting of loss and loneliness. Christmas seems to magnify it, doesn't it? He's not here. She's not here. God, don't you know the agony in my soul? My body hurts. My family hates me. And it seems like this pain is never going to go away. Friend, Jesus holds out his peace to you. But you don't have to fake it. He welcomes you to trust him in your pain, in your sorrow, in your agony, because his heart is love for you. Let other people sing it's the most wonderful time of the year. The only way in the midst of your pain it can be said to be the most wonderful time of the year is if Jesus is with you. And he promises to be with you. Spend this season with that peace of mind and enjoy peace within. Finally, enjoy peace with others. 
peace with God brings peace within and it spills over into as far as it depends on us, we can live at peace with others. The pattern for peace is the shape of a cross. Let me remind you of Colossians 3. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness and patience, bearing with one another. That's like putting up with one another. <laughs> if one has a complaint against another, forgive each other. As the Lord has forgiven you. That may be the greatest gift you give anybody this year, is the gift of forgiveness. Why would you keep that back when Jesus has lavished your life with forgiveness? Why withhold it? Above all these, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Colossians 3:15 and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. And that is how peace flourishes in your relationships. And you might sit there and say, "Yeah, yeah, pastor, that sounds all good and fine and dandy with other Christians." But my family has that black sign out in their yard. And they mock me with it. when it says, in this house, we believe science is real. Black lives matter. No human is illegal. Women's rights are human's rights. Climate change is real. Love is love and kindness first. But get off my lawn and stop talking to me about Jesus. What are we supposed to do with the family that despises us or the coworker that's upset at us because we follow the Prince of Peace. Well, you can still do the same things as Colossians 3. <laughs> but I can encourage you in a couple ways. If you want to talk with people who might want to treat you like that instead of yell at them or be yelled at, if you actually want to have a conversation, you know, if you want to try to not ruin your witness, but actually share the hope of Christ with them. I'll give you four things. You can remember it by four tires on the car. This is how you drive towards peace with people. Number one, seek. Seek to understand what they actually believe. Seek to understand what they actually want. You will be surprised that in many ways you want the same thing they do. They want the same thing you do. But as you seek to listen first, you then allow yourself an opportunity to speak second. When you speak, speak the truth, but speak it in love. It doesn't mean you can't be firm, but speak in love. Make it your goal to communicate not only the peace of Christ, but to communicate it peacefully if possible. Nobody wants all love and no truth, and nobody wants all truth and no love. So give them both. Serve them. Don't just talk to them with your lips. Humbly, kindly, generously, sacrificially, do something practical to communicate love. Was the cross convenient? Was the cross comfortable? 
Yet that is how Christ has served us. So take a cross and go serve. And sow peace. That's how James 3 ends. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. How did peace spread in the world for the last 2,000 years? Did it all happen at once? A man died. A peacemaker gave his life. And he sowed his life as a seed into the grave. And as he rose again, he now spreads the power, the righteousness of peace to those then who will sow peace. That harvest is sown in peace by those who make peace. So if Jesus did it, we should too. Plant peace and trust God as he sees fit. I'm out of time, but I cannot withhold this story from you. It's a testimony. I've seen peace at work in a particular brother's life. He gave me permission to share some of his story. A couple weeks ago, I sat down with Brady Chilcote at Blacksmith Coffee, and he shared how God's peace was invading his life. Brady's life was always one that lacked peace. He was adopted and he struggled to trust. His seeds of sin and suspicion eventually grew up into total rebellion as a teenager. He ended up on the streets. He was caught in a web of lies that he had spun on his own. He was uh, getting into alcohol. He, he, he then found himself addicted to meth. And then he found himself in prison. And it was in prison that God found him, sought him out, saved him, and started sowing peace into his life. The last five years of my life walking with Brady, the two of us would say that our, our lives and our faith are inextricably linked now because we have been through the lowest of lows and the highest of highs. Magnificent sin and magnificent grace have marked his life. And as he sat there and told me how much peace God was bringing into his life, into his marriage with Allie, they're expecting their second little girl here any week. And a life that was so frantic, so much on the run, full of anxiety. Guys, you cannot grasp how much his life has been filled with anxiety and unrest. Everything but peace. But he's been abiding in Christ. He's been studying the Bible with us at Men's Flourish. He's been at Mike's table and he loves it. He tells me all the time how the Bible's alive to him now. He, he's eating it up. He's confessing his sin. And guess what? It spilled into his witness. At work, he confessed his sin and, his, and he told his testimony to his coworkers. And all the guys who used to like to talk shop won't talk to him anymore because he's talking about Jesus. And all the guys who felt like they were way too far off for God, too much of an addict, too much abused, too far gone, too much of a sinner, guess what? They're the ones talking to Brady now. They're the ones talking to Brady because he's telling them about the prince of peace that has invaded his life. He can't contain it. A life void of peace by grace has been flooded with peace. Brady's had peace with God, fights for peace within, and is now spilling over in peace with others.
And so I close asking you this. If God can do that in Brady's life, can he do it in yours? Can he enter into your abuse, enter into your long-standing patterns of sin? Can he enter into your addiction? Can he enter into your marriage and your conflict and you th the things in your life that just feel so broken, they cannot be repaired? Can he do it? Can the Prince of Peace do it? He can. And that is no promise that he will. This is not prosperity and everything we want right here and now. But the Prince of Peace has started Shalom. And this season, this is Christmas, is our opportunity to enjoy it and to preach it. Because he, Jesus, is our peace. Let's pray.